What do grief and forgiveness have in common? Well, they are both about love, letting go, and embracing the new. Let's dive in a bit deeper to what that means and hear about ways to deal with grief, not only during the holidays, yet any day. And what are the things that we can say to someone who is grieving? Let's check it out. Hi, I'm Brenda Reese, freedom and forgiveness coach and a person just like you that is learning to navigate life and all of its challenges. I teach a forgiveness process like no other. It's a blend of practical and spiritual forgiveness. This process guides you into knowing how unforgiveness can be keeping you stuck in your relationships, both personally and professionally, and how it prevents you from releasing resentment and finding joy. Each week, I share practical and some not-so-practical tips, tools, and advice from myself and other people that are on this journey just like us. This is for you if you are ready to turn your pain into peace. Welcome to the Forgive Yourself Podcast. Grief is something that we deal with on a daily basis. There is always something we are grieving. It can be the loss of who we were. Now this can be our looks, right? It can be how our bodies move from injuries or illness. It can be around aging. A lot of us are grieving that. This leads me to the loss of our mental acuity. Now stress can make us foggy. So can menopause. There can be mental illness, dementia, and addictions. It can also be a loss of relationships, romantic, family, friendships, co-workers. This is through death, divorce, misunderstandings, or no longer seeing life the same way. An example for a co-worker is thinking that you and a co-worker were friends, yet they just leave and don't say anything. That's a loss. We also grieve the loss of jobs, our businesses, and money. Some of these happenings are not of our own doing, and that can have us feeling hopeless and disempowered. And even those that are of our own choosing or doing, we can have those same feelings. This can be happening to us individually or to those we love and care about. Grief sucks, yet it is something we have to go through. Because when we stuff our feelings... They have a way of coming back up in the most inopportune times, you know? I took a grief educator course this year with David Kessler. Now, he had worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross around the stages of grief, and he's written quite a few books. I took this course for two reasons. One, to help my clients because they are grieving relationships, themselves, and what's happening in their lives. And discovering how much grief and forgiveness go hand in hand, it made it so important for me to learn more about going through it, meaning grief, so I can be of deeper service to them. And the second reason, well, it was for me. It helped me with my own grief that I have been going through. It's taken me a while to be able to talk about this, and with my husband's permission, it's time to share it because I believe that our experiences are meant to be shared for those that they may help. 
It was a lovely summer evening in June of 2020. This is after things were opening up, you know, after we'd gone through those several months of the beginning of the pandemic. I was in my kitchen cooking dinner, and my husband was sitting to the left of me in the window seat like he would usually do, waiting anxiously for food because he still didn't quite eat enough for his fast-moving metabolism. As we were talking, he started to daze off, meaning just staring and not really responding, and I thought it was his blood sugar dropping, like it usually did when he did not eat the snacks the nutritionist had encouraged him to do, because of that fantastic fast-moving metabolism, which, all right, I was really jealous of, by the way. And when he did respond, it was in a really weird way, very slow and saying some strange things. Now, again, this was a little strange yet familiar because it happens when his blood sugar drops. It was going to be a little bit for dinner to be ready, so I grabbed a protein bar and I asked him to eat that as I went back to the boiling water and the oven timers going off. And then he said an extremely strange thing. And that's when I stopped everything. And I talked to him for clarification. But then, he seemed to be normal again. Yet, I was extremely concerned. My spidey senses were going off like crazy. So immediately, I tell him, we're going to the doctor. Now, this started a chain of events that some of you understand. When one doctor doesn't think it's anything, and then another and another, yet, I have learned to trust my spidey senses, and I was going to get to the bottom of this. So I'm going to leave some things out for the sake of time. But finally, we got to a specialist who checked him for Parkinson's because he had all the symptoms, except for a few of them. And they did all these tests, including a skin test that they now do for Parkinson's, which I was amazed at. I am so grateful for the thoroughness, care, and attention we received at the Booth Gardner Parkinson's Care Center in Kirkland, Washington. Through that testing, they were a bit confused as he was presenting with symptoms, yet didn't quite have them all, and they thought something else might be contributing. So they ordered an MRI, which showed a stroke. Actually, several had taken place. We were shocked, as his heart had been checked out, and he was on medication to help with different things, so we were all confused. Yet, through more testing, including a heart monitor, after meeting with a cardiologist, what it came down to was he had AFib which is atrial fibrillation, and is an irregular and often very rapid heart rhythm, which they call arrhythmia, that can lead to blood clots in the heart and the brain. Now, a lot of people have AFib, and it doesn't mean strokes will happen for them, yet in our case, it did. With comparing an MRI from a few years prior, they could see where damage was and be able to tell the newness of the recent damage. Now, we opted to not have the procedure they can do for AFib, yet medication was given in order to help with the AFib and to hopefully stop these strokes from happening. They were not sure how the strokes would affect his body because of the location of these strokes in different parts of his brain, and we just need to monitor. So we did not know how it was going to affect him physically or mentally. Now, since the time of the diagnosis to now, There have been changes for him. Physically, he isn't able to do the things he used to do. 
And this is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to watch such an active, vibrant person you love not be able to work out as much or take long walks or even carry on full conversations like he used to. And just recently, we are noticing his short-term memory is being affected. So the reason for this story is all about our topic of grief, because grief brings with it all kinds of emotions that do not feel comfortable at all. And I do need to say that as a society, we are grief illiterate. We don't talk about grief, and therefore it hits us harder, I think, than if we did have more knowledge around it. For me, I was experiencing anger, depression, fear, hopelessness, loss of control, just to name a few. Now, they would come and go, yet always a constant companion. Yet the intensity changed all the time. Sometimes I was okay. Sometimes tears would just flow. And then there were those times of anger, which felt like it was coming from my toes. Fortunately, I learned in my forgiveness training about handling anger and could use my tennis racket and a pillow. I love that exercise, by the way. Kept saying, what the hell was my problem? Then my good friend Susan shared with me a term called anticipatory grief. She found out about this term through hospice when her late husband was dying of cancer. Now, she had not heard of it either until hospice shared it with her, and it fit perfectly for what she had been experiencing. Now, this made sense to me, and finally it gave me a name for what I was going through. Now, a quick definition of anticipatory grief is grieving before a death. We can feel this with life-threatening illnesses like cancer, injuries, our loved ones with addiction, mental illness, and dementia. There is also another type of grief called ambiguous grief. Now, this is a loss that occurs without closure or a clear understanding. So this, of course, can be around loved ones with addiction and mental illness. Now, these are only two types of the many types of grief, as I have learned. And of course, you know, I wanted more information as I found out about this grieving. So I started doing the research, which led me to David Kessler's Grief Educator course. Now, David Kessler has a website called grief.com, and we're going to link it in the show notes. This has so many resources and ways to get in contact with grief groups. There are also other grief counselors, groups, and educators that you can look up online. One of the resources David has that I really want to share with us today is the 10 best things and 10 worst things to say to someone in grief. I'd like to share some of these with you because not only is it the most popular resource on the website, yet also because there is so much loss happening that it helped me immensely to feel better equipped of how I can be supportive versus saying something that could possibly cause more grief. These statements and ideas can be used for any type of grief meaning not only when someone has experienced a death, yet also when there has been a breakup or a loss of a job or an illness. So, the 10 best things to say to someone in grief from grief.com. Number one, I am so sorry for your loss. 
Number two, I wish I had the right words. Please just know I care. Number three, I don't know how you feel, but I am here to help in any way I can. Number four, you and your loved one will be in my thoughts and prayers. Number five, my favorite memory of your loved one is, this is for if someone has died. Or number six, I am always just a phone call away. Number seven, give a hug instead of saying anything. That's really needed. Number eight, we all need help at times like this, and I am here for you. Number nine, I am usually up early or late if you need anything. And I want to add to that too, we can call them instead of expecting them to call us in grief. And number 10, say nothing. Just be with the person. And that really is what is found to be needed the most. The following are the 10 worst things to say to someone in grief, and they are actually things that have been said. The worst things to say to someone in grief from grief.com. Number one, at least they lived a long life. Many people die young. Well, it doesn't matter how long or short a life is. Just because someone dies later in life doesn't mean that we aren't going to miss them or that we feel that they went too soon. Number two of the worst things to say to someone in grief, he, she, or they are in a better place. Okay, this is the one that causes a lot of problems. And most of the clients I've talked to say they want to punch someone when they hear this because the grieving person doesn't think so. They want them to be right here with them. That's the better place. Number three, she, he, or they brought this on themselves. Okay, this happens a lot with addictions and mental illness. People don't understand about addictions or mental illness, which is really unfortunate. Number four, there is a reason for everything. Now that may be so, yet someone who is grieving deeply, you're lucky they don't punch you with that statement. At the time of the loss, there is nothing that makes the loss okay or have a good reason for it. Number five, aren't you over them yet? They have been dead for a while now. Okay, hold on. Grief has no timeline. Everyone grieves differently. And usually people say this because they are really uncomfortable with a grieving person's emotions. Again, we are a grief illiterate society. Number six, you can still have another child. Oh, that is so hurtful. Another child does not replace the precious child that was lost. Number seven, they were such a good person. God wanted them to be with him or her. You can imagine the feeling of a grieving person hearing this, saying, no, I wanted them to be here with me. It wasn't their time. Number eight, I know how you feel. Actually, no, you don't. None of us know how someone feels in their emotions. And it's not a time to share how we feel either. This is for the other person and their experience. Number nine, they did what they came here to do and it was time for them to go. How do you know that? No one knows what that person's purpose was or if it's someone's time to go, and especially with all the different belief systems. 
And number 10, be strong. Be strong for your family and friends. What about me, right? What about you? What about the person grieving? What this does is not allow the person their own emotional experience. This causes more harm than good. We have a society that encourages strength and pushing through, which studies are now showing is a real detriment to our health. Now, we have all said the worst things to people in grief or even heard them being said to us. We can remember that it happened because we or they didn't know how to approach it better. If you have said something like these statements recently to someone, you can always apologize. Or even if it's been a while, you can always apologize. That works better than carrying around any guilt. And the more that we can share about grief, the better we will all become in showing compassion for others, and even ourselves. Now, if you are grieving this holiday season, and actually any time throughout the year, here are five tips to guide you. Some are from David Kessler, and some are from me. Number one, don't believe what you see on social media or TV. I think this is good year-round. We see all these perfect pictures, and remember, they are not perfect. We all have secrets. Lord, we all have families, right? (laughs) Allow yourself to be real. I love the saying I learned in AA, progress, not perfection. Number two, if the holiday is too hard, you have permission to cancel it. Okay, the one thing about holidays is they come around again. They'll be coming again next year. And you do not have to decorate. Oh my goodness. Give yourself permission to say no if you don't want to. There is no obligation. You know, there are still days that are hard for me. And this year, I asked one of my granddaughters and her girlfriend to come over to do a lot of the decorating for me, and they loved it. Number three, have the holiday on an alternative day. Now, we do that every year anyway. Our family celebrates Thanksgiving and Christmas before the actual holiday, and it works out well because that way they can go to the spouse's families and they can do their own thing on the holiday itself. Because when you can have the actual holiday to yourself, you can grieve it however you want or celebrate it however you want without the expectation of entertaining others or feeling like you need to be happy. I mean, you can stay in your pajamas, you can watch movies, you can do whatever you want. So give yourself that permission. Number four, asking for what you need. When we have experienced a death of a loved one or gone through a divorce or any loss, We expect people to remember, and a lot of times they don't. You know the dates and probably how you are feeling or will be feeling. So ask directly for what you need. Say to people that the holidays are going to be hard for me, or this coming up is going to be hard for me. Can we have a lunch date, or can we set up some coffee dates or dinner dates, or can we just go for a walk? And set those dates. Get them on your calendar. Don't leave it to chance of, I'll give you a call. That won't happen. And number five, permission to not feel guilty and to say no. You do not have to attend holiday gatherings if they will be too difficult or family gatherings if they will be too difficult. 
We feel guilty for not going, and that's really not healthy for ourselves. Yet, if you do want to go, then some ideas are telling the host that you're just going to stop by with no time frame given, and that allows you to leave when you want or stay as long as you want. Remember, no thank you is a complete sentence, and so is no. I'd like to end this episode with some valuable things I've learned about grief. I couldn't fix it. I was a fixer. Can you relate? I couldn't cure it. I didn't cause it. Because sometimes we feel guilty for reasons that were out of our control. Which leads me to, we couldn't, I couldn't, control it. Now, for control freaks, this one's a hard one. But it's so important to really let that sink in. We couldn't control it. I learned that grief is love. I wouldn't have been grieving if I didn't love. The pain is part of love. If you love intensely, you will miss them intensely. It's not about getting better with time. What it's about is I and my feelings will change with time. So if you tell somebody that it's going to get better with time, why don't you change that to change, right? It will change with time. Another one is no feeling is final. When we are in pain, we think we will have this pain forever. Yet when you look back over your life, don't you find instances where that pain changed? I have gone through several divorces myself, and I felt I was dying at each one. Yet when I look back, it did get different with time. I grew and I changed. We don't lose the memories. Now we can take the sting out of the memories, right, with the forgiveness work, if it's through a divorce or a a loss that causes us a lot of pain. We can take the sting out of them, but we don't lose them. And especially with death, it's important to remember we don't lose the memories. Another one is we don't have to lose our hope of our life being better or different. Sometimes in loss, we feel hopeless. I want to remind you that feeling hopeless with a loss is temporary. And lastly, sometimes the most smart and capable thing that I can say is, I need help. And then reach out to someone, a grief group, a friend, a coach, a therapist, And anyone who needs suicide or mental health-related crisis support or grief, right, or who has a loved one in crisis can connect with a trained counselor by calling or texting 988, which is a nationwide number for people in crisis. I want you to know that even though you may feel alone, you are not alone. Thank you so much for listening to the Forgive Yourself podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit our website at brendareissescoaching.com for more show notes and additional episodes. And would you do me a favor and subscribe to this podcast and please consider rating and reviewing the show? That will help other people find us. 
Thanks again for listening. And we'll catch you next time on the Forgive Yourself podcast. Take care. Thank you.